You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 166. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelana Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Oh, good to be back! Very good to be back! We are having issues with scheduling interviews as of late. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slight. But there's one coming, if, if I'm not mistaken. Please we are not me. giving up. We're not giving up at all. No, 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 no. But for some reason, we keep getting a lot of uh, things to talk about anyway. So it's an interesting fact. News and uh, topics are just pouring in from Europe and from the international skeptical space. Yeah. So that's... Oh, talking about space, by the way. Ooh. Oh, did you see did the you guys... picture? Did you see the picture? Oh, God. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. The first ever actual picture of a black hole but i i hope you i hope you guys are aware that it's not it wasn't taken like you take a picture with your camera I'm, so it's it's not like an actual photograph this is a really good iphone they used yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's a pretty fucking expensive one as well <laughs> it had to be funded <laughs> by several different bodies yeah and it's an array of iphones it's an array of eight Massive iPhones recording on a specific wavelength, actually. Mm -hmm. So it's a secret black hole wavelength. Oh, no, 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 no. But I, I think it's very typical. That's a 1.3 millimeter wavelength, I believe. That's I was just about typical. to say it's that. Not. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, th I think why, that, why they use that is because it's very typical among uh, clouds and uh, those uh, gases that are at an elevated temperature because they emit a very high dose of radiation at that specific wavelength. But they, they are planning to do new and rerun things with different uh, wavelengths. It's an absolutely fantastic endeavor, this taking of this uh, picture. Yeah. It was put together by an algorithm and it was used with eight radio telescopes that are amazing in themselves. And it was an array of eight radio telescopes and a massive international collaboration with 200 researchers. I just love the whole thing. Mm. And uh, it was partially funded by the EU's European Research Council. Mm. Pretty good. And I like the fact that uh, the, the algorithm was put together by a team of researchers, but the, that team was led by a 29-year-old computer scientist named Katie Bowman. Yeah. And she's just becoming this massive superstar now. Yeah. So this this is a, about a black hole, again. The first ever actual picture of a black hole, obviously based on Einstein's general relativity. The existence of black holes can be predicted and everything pointed towards the direction that they actually exist and they saw the result of them but they have never recorded an actual one apart from the the gravitational waves that were detected last year i, I think it was yeah, last yeah year. it was it was last year yeah, yeah. no so but it, it's it's great to to have it see and it was black that's true so that get, prediction yeah. prediction indeed. worked uh, indeed <laughs> and and this is a brilliant example of how science works bitches <laughs> mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. 
that it it works with predictions and the predictions need to be verified by actual observations and there you go there's the observation and it just blows my mind yeah and and the 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 scales of this whole thing Uh, it's that is that object how big is it andras <laughs> it's it big. has a mass. It has a mass of six point five gigawatts. <laughs> six point five billion times of that of the sun. Yeah. So, so it's, it's just, you, pretty you big. Cannot, pretty you big. cannot wrap your head around it. How big it is. There's nothing and you can wrap around it. It's too big. It yeah. 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 Fifty three million light years. But to be okay. serious, I, I think. Yeah. It's really great, going back to again, I think it's really great that we get a young female scientist who now can become and already has become a role model for young scientists out there. Great, great. Just the icing on the cake. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great example in a lot of different senses. Like I, I already mentioned a massive international collaboration. And even the publication of this picture was done in the proper way when it comes to scientific publications. Because it wasn't just given out to the press on a press conference. It was published in six actual articles, scientific papers. Yeah, that's great. So this is the way to go, guys. It's not like, oh, can we are having a press conference and uh, handing out the photos. Uh, well, good luck. Uh, no. <laughs> Science doesn't work that way. Yeah. Because but- then it generates all the hype and everything, but it, it doesn't come with all the necessary details. And I haven't really come across too many news outlets that published something that's absolutely crap about it. I have. You have? Yes. Okay. The first can ever you, picture you... taken of the inside of a black hole. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> so no. it's not the inside of a black hole, stupid. But uh, anyway, okay. Good never luck mind. taking a photo of, an yeah. ins- of the inside of a black hole. Yeah. yeah. So it opens up a whole new series of possibilities and uh, directions into research. Yeah. So, yeah, well done. It was published in the, the Astrophysical Journal Letters, by the way. Mm. Mm. So uh, very good, yeah. Was nice. Well done, mm. well done, guys. Yeah. Ask me what I've been up to. <laughs> what have you been up to? I have been debating again, and this time oh, it was in a panel debate uh, last week in the Science Festival in Gothenburg, and it was a debate called Fact Resistance, and it was me, a philosopher in from Stockholm, and a climate change researcher from a very prestigious. Gothenburg University. So it was a good crowd, like 50, 60 people in the audience in a public lab library in Gothenburg and very accessible. The public, it's just, you go inside of the entrance of the library and then there's this sort of scene where, where we were talking. And the panel went well, I must say. Uh, one or two goofy questions but uh, from the audience, but fine. <laughs> But what I want to talk about is really, it was also filmed, so it's now on YouTube and we can link to the, for the Swedish listeners, we could could link to that YouTube clip. But one of the panel, in the panel, was representing climate change research. Of course, people on the internet now who want to deny that any change is happening, they are going completely bananas. And they send me emails that accuse me and the others of being shills for buying into the climate change propaganda. And um, it's not even what we were discussing. 
one of us was, yes, a climate change researcher, but the, the header was fact resistance in general. And we talked about 9-11 and vaccine denial and all other kinds of things. But of course, uh, climate change came up a lot. And um, since I was wearing this T-shirt of the Swedish uh, skeptics, which says I am skeptical on the front, of course, there was a lot of uh, people now pointing out how stupid I am to believe the official story. And I'm claiming to be skeptical, but I'm buying into the whole conspiracy. <laughs> so blah, blah, blah. I'm getting all these emails. It's very tiring. But anyway, it was fun. And I enjoyed the actual uh, panel debate. I guess the the abuse you get afterwards is just an occupational hazard. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think. Yeah, right. Well, you, 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 oh, wow. I'm hoping yeah. you're not taking it too pe- personally. <laughs> I'm trying not to. No, you, you can't do that. I mean, th- there is this guy sitting in a, a cottage out in the forest somewhere, and he claims that he has indeed done hundreds of hours of research on the internet, and he can prove that I, we are all wrong. Okay, good. That that's not research, guys. You you don't research by googling on the internet. That doesn't compete with thousands of researchers who are actually doing decades of yeah. scientific. Uh, yeah, who studies. who is who actually are getting yeah. paid for it? So like eight hours a day. That's what they do. Oh, but that's the problem. You know, oh, they are course. getting paid. Sorry, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, you know how much some research projects can cost. It is unbelievable, and uh, the Horizon Twenty Twenty, which is a European Union science budget, mm. it allocated thirty million euros just to fund an expedition to this to the Antarctica mm. to do some drilling about the oldest ice core in the world for for one point five million years just to get some climate data. Oh, mm-hmm. what the heck! Yeah, but you of know, course that's not real science. That's mm-hmm. not real research. No, but what the the guys <laughs> who are emailing me are saying these researchers they are getting paid this amount. That's well, how they frame it. Ah, they're not okay. getting paid. No, it, the equipment. It, they're getting the, equipment the fun. And they're getting the funds to do it. It doesn't mean that they get paid to say this. But that's oh, the story. They, yeah, it's not paid to say this. No. What, what they, they get the funding for is the actual research. Yeah. Obviously, a researcher who's a professional researcher has to has to eat. So <laughs> yes. they need to get payment for what yeah. for the work they do. Yeah. And obviously, doing proper research comes with a lot of equipment to use sometimes. Mm. It's not just uh, observing and finding out just in your mind. It, you have to measure stuff. And that is costly. You have to you have to accept that that is costly. Yeah. Still, there are a lot of uh, obviously there are a lot of uncertainties. Like there are proxy data used for reconstructing past climates and stuff. But that is the uncertainty. We 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 discussed that earlier on on one of the earlier shows. I think that the uncertainty is not necessarily it's it's not important to be part of the discussions. The uncertainties are nuances. We yeah. know for a fact that climate change is real and it's generated by human activities. Yeah. Period. <laughs> yeah, but Sorry. I have a guy who knows differently, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, because he's been Googling a, for hundreds hero. of hours. Yeah. You're yeah. a hero for, for <laughs> allocating the time and, and just spending yeah. your time and energy on uh, something that... Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. That is can be so damaging. Mm-hmm. But... Since we talked about the, uh, this uncertainty thing, 
I think I haven't mentioned、mm-hmm. to you guys that、uh, Skeptical Science, which is a, a group of、uh, bloggers and actual scientists who publish stuff about climate science mostly. They put together a book that is called the Uncertainty Book. You you probably remember an earlier publication by them, which is、uh, mm. the Debunking Handbook.、Mm. Yeah. Yes, yes. You remember that? Absolutely. Yeah. It was an international project to translate that into several different languages, and it has been translated to a lot of languages. A Debunking Handbook, but this one is titled the Uncertainty Handbook,、mm-hmm. and it deals with the uncertainties, and it can be used as a handbook. For those who are communicators of climate science, this is a pretty forward-thinking approach as well、uh, to try to to give the means for those communicators when you try to tell people that okay, there are uncertainties, but obviously you have to put、uh, the emphasis onto the, the the right parts. So I think it's a pretty good project, and so far I don't think it has been translated. Into so many languages, the, what is published is German, Indonesian, and Portuguese. Apart from the English, the original English version, of course. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying,、uh, my Indonesian is a bit rusty. But... <laughs> rusty. <laughs> <Yeah> . Your Indonesian <laughs> is a bit rusty. Okay. Oh, by the way, I watched I watched the video you sent me about your debate,、mm-hmm. and it was so lovely. But I can I can understand something. <laughs> oh, it was Indonesian, all of it. Yeah.、Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Even if I yeah, unfortunately, it's it. not subtitled. That、uh, I guess that's too much to ask for. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you can do the subtitles, and some so, someone someone can translate it.、Mm. So another translation project, people. <laughs> Very good. If you want to get in touch with them, I can、uh, I can make the connection.、Uh, the Hungarian translation has been done. My job would be to proofread the whole thing, but it's、uh, it's proving to be a much more difficult job than originally thought. If someone from Hungary is listening to this, I would be more than happy to to delegate that to someone else.、Yeah. But I think it would be a great idea to for everyone to check it out, the Uncertainty Handbook, and then indicate if they would be willing to do the actual translation. Great.、Mm. All right, so obviously the the link will be among the show notes. All right, so、uh, that's all about possible projects <laughs> to work on.、Uh, we have an ongoing project that is called the European Skeptics po-、uh, Podcast,、Woo-hoo! of which we are running a regular segmented episode right now. That means that we are going to start with a segment that is called "This Week in Skepticism," and it's、uh, presented by none other but Jan Levin. I want to talk about somebody who was born on tenth of April, seventeen fifty-five, and this someone is Samuel Hahnemann. Ooh! His full name was Christian Friedrich Samuel Hahnemann. He was a German physician, best known for creating the pseudoscientific system of alternative medicine called homeopathy. Oh my God! So he created homeopathy. We are back in the day, the early eighteen hundreds. What's so surprising about Samuel, good old Samuel, he has actually been a qualified physician. So he studied, he became a doctor, he worked as a doctor very, very briefly, and he got disappointed in the modern science and the modern medicine back in eighteen hundred, if you can call it modern. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're talking about modern medicine. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Well, it was I, brutal. I, it was yeah, brutal. Yeah, no, it was. So, so things that people used to get up to in in the medicine back then were things like bloodletting, leeches, all sorts of. 
All, all sorts of things that you you wouldn't believe. Like France used to export millions of leeches a year and all all around around the world because people thought that that that, that shit worked. And what he observed in his uh, very brief career as a doctor that that shit didn't work, and in fact it made people worse. And so his ultimate disappointment in um, medicine back then led him to do his own experiments. Now, here's the tricky part. I couldn't really find the definitive answer on what kind of experiments and what he considered to be a proof, a real proof of, of the uh, homeopathy working. But at some point, he uh, ate some poison like belladonna that made him in a very small quantities that made him have fever-like symptoms that was kind of like malaria. And then he thought something about like, you're like, but I really couldn't piece the whole thing together. And um, they kind of gloss over <laughs> his uh, experimental efforts in places where people write about him just by saying that he has experimented and therefore came to these conclusions that like cures like, and more you dilute it, more effective it gets. So, you know, take it as you want. That's what he advocated back then. He's written books about it, etc. Of course, as we now know, homeopathy doesn't have any effect. Apart from, sorry, I shall correct myself and say, apart from the placebo effect. But it doesn't mm -hmm. actually do anything. So, I think... Having read his story, I understood where he, he was coming from. He was coming from a p perspective of a person who was frustrated, disappointed with the current state of affairs, and he wanted to do something different. What I don't really understand is why, to this day, after having done research, uh, after research, we're still hanging on to these old principles, old ideas. Why can't we just like shake it off? I mean, it slowly is being defunded. For example, in England, as we know, the homeopathy as a treatment has been defunded by the government in some countries. There is more and more research coming out to say, yet again, you know, every time it doesn't work. But people still keep hanging on to it, despite the fact that medicine has now made enormous progress and proven to be so useful. Yeah, but is it natural? Is it natural? That's but the listen, question. But, but listen, I, th I didn't think he was after natural b back then either. He was just after something no. that worked, something different. No, you're right. Something yeah, right. different. And it probably did work in a way because well, some it of didn't, the... it didn't do as much harm and therefore it was... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it didn't actually kill the patient. Yeah. Giving yeah. somebody yeah. just yeah. water yeah. was probably better than trying to treat them with the, the old stuff. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely, absolutely. So... He actually lived a very long li life, you guys. Eighty-eight, he was. Yeah, it's 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 all because of the homeopathy. I know, right? Maybe there's, I was just going to say, maybe be. there's something in it. Maybe we're using homeopathy all wrong, and it's actually for prolonging our like age. Yeah, 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 yeah. But imagine with the bloodletting and everything like that, you are making an open wound uh, yeah. on somebody somebody's yeah. skin. And back then, we are talking. Mm. No sanitation whatsoever. Yeah. So an open wound, it almost ne definitely meant that it could be infected. Yeah, absolutely. And so <laughs> yeah. So then uh, the theory of germ germ theory, theory hasn't come into play until late 1800s. So he was kind of up against the fact that people didn't really know much uh, in no. the me medical field. So including him. Yeah. Including him. 
We should yeah. remember that. Yeah, including yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing is also, I always, I kind of forget and then I remember when I read about it, just think, how do people rationalize his method? You know, the, the um, succussion, the funny shaking, the funny shaking and beating. I mean, what the hell is, what's up with that? I mean, why do they still believe that that's, anyway. Yeah. But you just take it all, don't you? You just. I think it's just magical thinking on his on on his and his followers part. Still, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because you had to come up with an explanation as to why some kind of a memory of the actual active ingredient memory the water remains the, the memory remains in the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the solution. Yeah. 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 Well, we had um, yeah some investigation about that as well. Memory of in the water, and in fact, wasn't wasn't it taken <laughs> wasn't it taken a few steps further recently where people claimed all sorts of ridiculous things and um, but uh, the funny argument against it always is well, what do you think happens to all the poo? Do you think water remembers all that? So you know, but nobody <laughs> wants. To. Yeah, yeah. No, because it's intelligent. It's intelligent <laughs> water as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've heard that argument many times. But, but I think we are biased to think that everything should be rational. Oh, of course. Yes, yes. How yeah. ironic is that? That being rational is our... No, but actually, having debated the, the Anthroposophs, they think we are close-minded to say it all has to be rational because they know it works. They've seen it work. So, of course, yeah. it works. Yeah. And if we just opened our minds, we would also see the same thing. That's what they yeah. say. Yeah, but on the other hand, the homeopaths, they try to rationalize. This is why they try to push it through the field of science and try to argue that it's scientifically, that it works. Mm. And even though the results show otherwise, they keep pressing for it. Mm. I understand that what Hahnemann came up with back in the 18th, uh, the 18th century, the end of the 18th century, that was okay. I mean, that was probably a good idea back then there were probably a couple of people who thought that uh, uh yeah this this guy's nuts but still it really worked in a way but with modern science at hand i don't think we should be open to allow that to keep rolling on it's not it's just no no, no we shouldn't <laughs> by the way how someone, uh, a group of people, determines what the homeopathic remedy can be used for is still based on Hahnemann's principles yeah, he, and Hahnemann's method, called, yeah. and it's called proving. And what they do is just they get together, they get the stuff, and they start writing down the symptoms that they perceive to have. It's like, what if there's no connection whatsoever? Mm. Ah, oh, so it's it's just silly. Yep, it is. So was it the tenth of April? You said yes. Yep. The tenth. Yeah, tenth of April, seventeen fifty-five. Okay, happy birthday, sir. Oi, <laughs> <laughs> oi. This week is actually the Homeopathy Awareness Week. I assume because uh, the Hahnemann dude was born on the tenth, so they kind of decided to make that week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In his honor, please be aware, homeopathy doesn't fucking work. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you want to find out more, please go on the, the website how does homeopathy work <laughs> yes. dot com. Yes, check that out, <laughs> and, and you you'll see the answer. It's it's a proper answer. And happy World Homeopathy Awareness Week, everyone. Uh, All right. Yeah. Thank you very much, Yelena. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that means that we are moving on to finding out why Pontus needs to poke the Pope again. Oh, yes. 
this is a special week because we have two popes to poke. Almost too good to Ooh. be true. Oh, because we have two popes alive. Two living popes, time. yes. So let's start with the old one, the previous one, Pope okay. Benedict the, the 16th, who famously resigned in 2013. First one to resign in about 600 years or so. But he has now crawled out from under whatever rock he's been hiding under since then. And he has come to an insight. He has written a letter to explain what is wrong with the world. And it is hippies. <laughs> hippies. Hippies, what? yes. Yeah, the sexual revolution of the 60s. That is what has led to all the homosexuality and pedophilia that now haunts the Catholic establishments. Uh... It's the bloody hippies. And the hippie priests, that's the problem. It's not just a postcard he's written either. It's over 5,000 words long. So it had to be divided into three parts. The first part describes how sexual films, images of nudity, oh my, and the clothing of the time, in quotation marks, led to a collapse that rendered the church defenseless. Isn't it great words he's using? <laughs> it all led to that uh, bishops were trying to be modern at the time. We don't want that. That led to them, uh, some of them at least, showing, quote, pornographic films, end quote. Ooh. I wonder, that that's a church I didn't go to, actually. They might have kept more followers if they did, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Well, that's a lot of nudity. <laughs> If you think of the angels, the little angels, the puttos, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. on the paintings in church buildings, there's a lot of nudity. And they are small children, mind you. Oh, boy. Oh, I've oh never boy. seen that connection oh before. You're right. You're right. Anyway, this modern look at uh, sexuality, it led to that in the late 80s, pedophilia became acute. Acute? How can pedophilia become acute? But that's his words. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm picturing a wild, a wild bunch of long-haired hippie bishops running amok, spreading porn left, right, and center. It's a church I could subscribe to, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but not to worry. He also has the, the remedy. It's in the third part of the letter. The simple solution is obedience and love for our Lord Jesus Christ. So, solved. Great news, right? <laughs> And uh, can someone turn their sexual interest toward uh, Jesus Christ? I, well? I don't know. I, I think obedience is sort of a hot word, isn't it? Oh, yeah. 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 Obedience. Love. Obedience obedient. and love. Okay. Mm. Nom, nom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> our, us and our dirty minds. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't me who wrote it. It was his words. Obedience and love for Lord Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, okay. And on your knees, please. <laughs> that he didn't say. We should be fair. <laughs> anyway, so, so that's the sort of old Pope. What, what about Francis? The young Pope? Y the, the current Pope, Francis. Can we keep up with all of these Popes? <laughs> uh, there is a background story here. The San Carlo Institute, which is a high school of Milan in Italy, they recently re uh, celebrated 150 years. Well, it's good for them. Because of this, their, their celebration, a delegation of students and teachers and parents were given an audience by Mr. Francis. And he got a couple of good questions, and I will mention one and his answer. The question was, is God partial? Meaning, does he favor some people over others? 
And that's actually a very good question. And it's a sort of version of, of the old theodicy question, which is, you know, if God is good, why is there evil? And the answer that Francis gave, and, and you want to say sometimes that Francis is not so bad. He's the progressive pope, etc. But here you can see what a weasel he is, because his answer was actually to shame the student who asked the question. Because he began his answer by saying, we shouldn't demand so many questions from God. Because if we do, we become that little child. Uh, and, you know, believe me, I, I've been a, I am a parent, so I know how annoying it can be. But that child that keeps asking, why, 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 to any answer you give them. After clearing that up, don't ask stupid questions because you become that little child that just asks why, why, why. He went on mm -hmm. to say that God is not partial, but we are. Mm -hmm. Imagine telling a nine-year-old kid with terminal cancer that God doesn't favor certain people. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm quite outraged. Of course, mm -hmm. life is unfair. If you believe in a God, then you must come to the conclusion that that God is partial. Some people have great lives and some people have shitty lives. But uh, no, it's not God who is partial. We are. So puts the blame on us. Blaming the victim. Blaming wow. the victim, yeah. Mm. That seems to be a theme, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all our fault. And, and he went on then on a rant that really had nothing to do, well, only partially to do with the question, saying that no wars were ever created by God we, the humans, create the wars. And of course, I actually agree with that. But if God was real, wouldn't he stop the wars? So we're back to the theodicy problem. Why is there evil in the world if we have a good God who's almighty and can fix all the problems? He just can't be bothered. Yeah, sorry if I got a bit worked up, but I'm poking two popes at the same time and it really gets my blood pressure up. Uh, so I think this is enough for, for a week. <laughs> you have to do it with two hands. <laughs> Ooh. With the scapsticks. The scapsticks, yeah, yeah, right. Oh, Yeah, anyway, that, that's uh, poking the popes for you this week. Great, thank you very much for that. All right. Okay, we shall move on to the news items then. All right, and let's start with uh, some kind of good news. I mean, not kind of good news. It's really good news. Ah, good. On uh, one of the recent episodes, uh, we talked about HPV and uh, that uh, poor young woman, Laura Brennan uh, from Ireland, who was not lucky enough to get vaccinated in time against HPV, the human papillomavirus, mm. and got cervical cancer. And it, it was un uh, not curable. Yeah. It's, it's a real issue. Since HPV is a sexually transmitted infection, it's advisable for 12 to 13-year-old girls to be vaccinated. However, I have to add that it's not only girls that are advisable to be vaccinated, but also boys. Never mind. Moving on. Recently, a new um, set of data was released in Scotland about uh, the effects of uh, routine HPV immunization that started in 2008. 
those girls uh, that uh, started to get vaccinated were uh, between the age of 12 and 13. When they reached, uh, 10 years later or 8 years later, when they reached year 20, they were screened for cervical disease and the abnormal cells and lesions that are the precursors of the cancer. This study that was published uh, in the British Medical Journal, well... The results are very interesting. The data was uh, taken from any Scotland's NHS databases, and uh, they analysed almost 140,000 women born between the 1st of January in 1988 and the 5th of June 1996. They compared unvaccinated women with vaccinated women. The results are amazing. There was an 89% reduction in uh, those women who were vaccinated in terms of uh, prevalent cervical intraepithelial neoplasia. So that's, that's a very fancy sounding name for an abnormal growth of cells on the surface of the cervix, which has the potential to develop into a cervical cancer. Well, there are different grades of this uh, neoplasia that are of uh, different levels of um, of risk, but the highest reduction rate was 89%. The lowest reduction rate was around 79%. So it's still very, very important. It's a massive reduction uh, when it comes to the development of this condition. Mm, great. So it works. It absolutely works. It's the first ever set of data that shows a very convincing result in preventing cervical cancer and several different other types of cervical disease. So HPV vaccines work. That's the bottom line. And please go and get vaccinated or get your uh, offspring vaccinated in time. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's a very promising result. It's very good to be reassured about the HPV vaccine. And please don't be fooled by any anti-vaxxers. It works. On to, on to Catholic Church again. Sorry. Uh, oh. We talk about them all the time. <laughs> okay. I feel like... Um, yeah, we're obsessed with them. I, th- I feel like I've, I've taken over Pontus' uh, territory. But this is about a bishop whose diocese near Madrid is being investigated after the uh, newspaper reported that it um, apparently ran a course uh, that cures homosexuality. So the uh, reporter went undercover on this course and uh, he's been treated. Oh, bloody hell, I can't believe we're still talking about this. I, I thought it's gone away, but obviously it hasn't. But in a statement... Uh, on his website, the Diocese of Alcalá de Henares called the report fake news. Of course they have. <laughs> <laughs> they said that um, apparently the, uh, homosexuality is not cured, but if somebody is looking for help, then the church is willing to step in. I'm sure and they are. He, they, they, they said somebody who's uncomfortable with their hom- uh, homosexuality. Well, they would be uncomfortable. They'll be feeling guilty all day long anyway. Because the church tells them because that the, it's the a sin, yes. Guilted, yeah. It's I would make scene, anybody yeah. So, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, the uh, this therapy has been banned in Madrid, and uh, there is a fine attached to it. I don't, I'm not sure if um, they've ended up paying a fine. Forty-five thousand euros. You found Ooh, guilty. That's actually sizable fine. Yeah. 
I hope they did pay, or I hope yeah. they had to pay. Yeah. But this Bishop Ray Pla uh, has routinely been criticized by uh, by gay rights activists uh, for his vocal opposition to homosexuality. My only surprise is that we're still talking about it now, after all, all everything we know about homosexuality. It's not a disease, guys. If you no, didn't know, it sh- it even shouldn't. It's quite okay. It's quite, it's oh, quite okay. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> oh. All right. Something that is not okay uh, <laughs> is a, a story from from Sweden. Here, a small child has been taken away from her parents since she was admitted to a hospital in Sweden for being est- extremely undernourished. Report says she was. Um, very pale, her eyes were rolling uncontrollably, and she was suffering from cramps. It turns out that her parents had refused to give her any proper baby food, but insisted on only feeding her vegan food and mother's milk. And I'm not quite sure what her age was. When they asked the parents why she had an extreme vitamin deficiency, the parents said she, instead of vitamins, had been given a lot of sunshine and laughter. God, God, the universe takes care of us. They said. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how. That's how well the universe takes care of you. If you don't feed your your baby, she dies. But you know how you know how it will definitely take care of you when you're dead. <laughs> yeah. When you're dead and you're buried. Yeah. You go back to nature. Mm. Your materials, the materials that build up your body, mm. will go back to nature and be part of the universe again. Which which is quite close to what happened here because when the girl came to the hospital doctors said that she was just hours away from dying but they managed to save her uh, and of course that's fantastic that's great one of the doctors said that uh, he had never seen such a malnourished child before and uh, now the parents are being prosecuted (laughs) this is what you get when when people are getting fundamentally fanatical about something we will give her sunshine and laughter and then she will survive. Nope, doesn't work like that. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Oh, it's terrible. Okay. Well, you can actually expose your children to a lot of risk based on your stupid decisions. This happened to a couple. They required to stay anonymous, but they are anti-vaxxers in Hungary. And uh, a court decision was made. You probably remember that Hungary has very strict rules when it comes to vaccination. Yeah. It's mandatory. 11 different vaccines are mandatory throughout childhood. And it's it works pretty well. But there are anti-vax parents who try everything to keep their children away from immunization. And uh, these parents invoked um, the actual uh, constitution. And uh, they said that it's their constitutional right to decide what's best for them and for their children. And they have the right to refuse vaccination based on their worldview, let it be religious views or otherwise. However, when the court uh, decided that uh, based on their irresponsible behavior towards their children, the children would be taken from them. However, this couple decided to appeal, and they appealed at the highest possible level, which is the Constitutional Court. 
The Constitutional Court, just now, hot of the presses, they rejected their appeal, arguing that uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the, the few. Oh, Spock. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got that reference. It's Star Trek. Yeah. Woo. Yes, it's Star Trek. It's Star Trek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the second movie, <laughs> The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so they, their rights cannot be held higher than the rights of the many because of vaccination being a public health issue. Obviously, it cannot be allowed. So, uh, I think this decision must be welcome, and there is no way to appeal from here. Mm. So there's, there's no higher higher level of court of appeal, but in Hungary, so this is this is our highest level they could. Good news, to. then. Mm. Yeah. By the way, I do recommend everyone to read an article on bbc.com by Professor Helen Bedford from the University College London. This article gives a very nice overview and a history of uh, measles, the fight against measles, and how, because of the drop in vaccination rates, measles is coming back. And not only measles, but mumps and rubella as well. Fucking hell. Yeah, I think it's a very well compiled piece of article with all the data and very telling charts as well. We talk a lot about measles and and how it's spreading in Ukraine in in parts of uh, other parts of Europe. So it's a recommended read. The the link will be among the show notes. Very good. All right, an update from Sweden uh, now. We awarded uh, Jehovah's Witnesses a really wrong award 2 weeks ago since they had shown homophobic films and anti-abortion films to to minors. This was at a convention where there were uh, both adults and children. And the interesting thing is that these were films that also are shown at their free schools or private schools. So I said at the time that I don't approve of religious free schools, and I stand by that. (laughs) I also said there should be a minimum age for religion, and I haven't changed my mind on that either, but uh, I wonder if that will ever happen. Anyway, so the update is on this story that the person in charge of showing these films at the convention has now been convicted at €4,000 fine, so that's good, and that's really good, actually. But the real interesting thing is what consequences this conviction may have on the free schools of the Jehovah's Witnesses, who have, they have never sought approval for showing these films in schools, and that is something that they have to do according to law. So all films to be shown in schools need to be approved, And now the court has decided that these films that were shown at this convention, they are not okay. And that means that they will have to go after all the Jehovah's Witnesses free schools. I don't know how many there are, but I'm sure there's anything from a couple to maybe half a dozen Jehovah's Witnesses schools in Sweden. And they will now be scrutinized for if they show these films or not. So this is very good. Good news. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Friend of ours, Erzad Ernst, Ernst <laughs> attended a scam research conference, so-called alternative medicine <laughs> research conference in France. So very different this time around. He spent 25 years uh, lecturing all over the world 
promoting the real medicine and saying how alternative medicine doesn't work. And he found himself being invited to this conference, which is uh, an interesting experience. So, so just to clarify, this was not an ironic uh, scam conference. It wasn't about how bad it is. It was actually yeah, those were for people who promoted yeah, this yeah, thing. That's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, he, oh, he was very. Um, uh, what was the word? He was very nice and polite in his post about the people he met there. He just sort of wanted to, he was making some notes on his experience and he wanted to pass these notes to us. And uh, at the end of his post, he made some, I thought, very good suggestions to the uh, alternative medicine proponents how to advance their thinking in, around the research. Of course, the terminology they use at the conference was a little bit questionable. They talk about non-pharmacological interventions. You see how they kind of <laughs> um, yeah, okay. not ma made it sort of as something bad, but they basically, this is like an opposition of, of uh, to pharmacological interventions. They, they need to kind of work on their terminology. The, the term that in dominated the conference was integrative medicine. And um, what Ernst is talking about, that he got an impression that it was employed uncritically by some of the uh, people there. And um, the experts seemed to imply that because integrative medicine is the politically and socially correct approach, there's no longer a need for asking whether the treatment is actually working. Uh, and it's Ooh. doing more good than harm. Let's just integrate. Let's just, you know, make it all big happy family with all these treatments and you come along and you come along. Yeah. Everybody comes along. Just bring your stuff. Yeah. Which is kind of like very <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> it's like, it's like opera medicine. Yeah. You get a car, you get a car. Anyway. Oh, yeah. And, um, he, he's coming from a perspective of a person who is very much concerned about the proper research, regardless of whether it's alternative medicine research or anything else. And as we all aware that, that research has to be conducted properly, it has to be double-blind studies, it has to be tested, it has to be peer-reviewed, etc. And, uh, you know, we need to do the research in order to confirm the hypothesis. But if it doesn't confirm your hypothesis, well, that means the thing, the medication, whatever it is you're researching, doesn't work and you accept it and you move on. Whereas what he found was the uh, assumption or approach to research aim at entirely different directions. So one speaker explained that if homeopathy is fully convinced of the assumption of homeopathy, he's entirely within the ethical standards to treat his patient's homeopathically, regardless of the fact that homeopathy is de demonstrably wrong. That's a very wrong uh, point to yeah, start no. from. I say no. I say yeah. no. That's not true. <laughs> and another speaker claimed there is no doubt, uh, and I'm quoting from his uh, website, there is no doubt any longer about the efficacy of acupuncture. The research question, therefore, must be how to be best implemented in routine healthcare. Hang on a second. There is a question. Uh, there is a question around yeah, efficacy. Again, no. Uh, because mm -hmm. we've we've seen a lot of research that shows that it's dangerous. Never mind uh, works or not work. Mm -hmm. So kind of a lot of feelings attached here. I'll just kind of pick out a couple of pieces of advice he comes up with after attending this conference. So obviously he's suggesting to sort out the terminology and define the terms as accurately as possible. But I want to say that this will probably cause more problems because if they start defining terms properly, they might kind of shoot themselves in the foot a little bit. But anyways, it's a different discussion. Try to focus on the research questions that are justifiably the most important ones for improving healthcare 
which is the right position to start with, not whether, you know, oh, well, we think it works, so let's start curing people, even though there's no proof. So once the uh, relevant research is identified, read up what has already been published on it, because a lot of research already on, on alternative medicine has already been published. And it's unfortunately, most of it is very uncomplimentary. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, while, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, and he tries to speak to the fact that we all have prejudice, and he says, abandon your own prejudices. Research is about finding the truth, not about confirming your beliefs. And it seemed to have been the feeling throughout the conference that the, the people there already were coming from a certain position and they were not about to change their minds and they just wanted to keep confirming their own beliefs, i.e. the confirmation bias, of course. And we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. You know, we all are. <sighs> so, interesting experience. I guess I kind of wish we, we had more of that. I wish we, we yeah. had more of the um, discussions and conversations and being invited to talks where people do think that, for example, alternative medicine works, homeopathy works, where we could present other points of view in a civil setting, you know, mm. where it's welcomed and, uh, yeah, open for discussion. So, well done. Yeah. He, he did well say done. that, unfortunately, none of the talks were recorded, so we won't know what actually has gone oh. on there. Mm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. too bad. That's it too bad. Be, no, but it, it would be very, very good to listen to during our boring nights that when, when we don't know what to do with our time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So over to some interesting news from Norway. This is a little bit outside of normal field of uh, subjects, but I think it's very interesting anyway. The government in Norway, they employ about... 20,000 people every year and now they are planning a pilot project of anonymizing job applications in order to avoid discrimination based on ethnicity. So they they have a technical solution in place and I will now try this for at, of at least 200 recruitment ads to see what the effect will be. So mm. as I read it, it's only trying to avoid discrimination against people with foreign sounding names but I'm curious to know if they're also going to try to see if, if they can get away from uh, gender discrimination. Because mm-hmm. we, we all know that there's been tests done several times to, see, to show that if you don't know whether the applicant is a woman or foreign uh, national, you treat it differently. Even people who swear that they don't have any prejudice on any against anyone and they really want to be objective they're really not we all have prejudice it, it, it cannot be helped so um, they're going to try to employ people without knowing at least the, the names of the people so uh, that will probably get rid of the you know everything that sounds not norwegian will no longer be uh, discriminated against so um, it's a good uh, initiative, and we'll see how it works out. I think it's pretty interesting. And uh, one of the things that occurred to me while I was looking for a job in the UK, for example, is that uh, contrary to, to what I had experienced in Hungary, they did not want photographs on uh-huh. CVs. Yeah, And it, it was quite a good 
thing to experience. First of all, that I'm not very appealing. When <laughs> yeah, to, in your case, at. it would be. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's advantageous in my case. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> but I think it's another form of discrimination. Sure, absolutely. Imagine that. Okay, this person. Oh, it looks looks very nice. Or imagine a recruiter, a male recruiter, looking at the CVs of a female recruiter. Obviously, they will go for the female CVs, or more likely than those uh, coming from males. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's true. Well, obviously, some will obviously try to be very impartial, but it's hard. Uh, You have this... You have the biases that you don't even control or you can't, you're exactly. not even aware exactly. of it. So, so it's, yeah. it's gender bias, it's uh, foreign nationals, it is also age. Racial. Race, yeah, yeah it, lots of things. So it, I think there's a good case to be made for anonymous uh, applications. Eventually, I guess you will need to call them for an interview. But uh, by then... Yeah, of course. Then, and yeah. then check their backgrounds and everything. So obviously you have sure. to find out who they are. Yeah. But not at the first stage. Yeah. No, right. Yeah. Right. I think it's a good... I, I think it's um, a good Yeah, it's interesting. I, I want to say that it, where I currently work, that's already the case. It's all anonymized? Yep. Or yeah, how? it's already... Yeah. Great. So that's you great. don't see okay. the gender, you don't see the age, you don't see the name. You just see the number. Okay, but it's not required by the government. It's That's their a good decision. Question: I don't know because it is yeah. a large organization, somewhat uh, sort of supervised yeah. by government. And I think uh, the the uh, the other government organization I worked for it had exactly the same situation. So I wonder if it does matter. But I don't know. I can't say for sure. Oh, it could be that it's a government organization. It's uh... yeah. Uh, they have different. to be seen yeah. to be um, providing equal opportunities. It's always been a big thing in in, in England. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 By the way, Pontus, uh, when it comes to because you mentioned that this is this is a government initiative. Yeah. But uh, does it cover all the private no, no, companies no. and institutions as well, or just the government sector? Just the government uh, recruitment. Uh, for, yeah, to yeah, begin okay. with, at least they're going to test yeah, this yeah. and see how how it works out. Yeah. 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 Okay. Mm? Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Mentioning the UK, I think we will finish our news items, a list of news items, with some very positive news, but with a little bit of doubt in me. And that was uh, published in Pulse, which is uh, a site intended for health professionals. And um, the title of this publication is Homeopathy Prescribing Set to be Blacklisted Under NHS England Plans. Mm. Now, NHS England published a guidance in 2017 where they gave a list of uh, different recommendations regarding several different medicinal products on the NHS. And, uh, well, it ranges from lidocaine, plasters to different other, well, substances with doubted benefits. And among them is mentioned homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Which it was a welcome move by NHS England. So the the list goes on. However, now it seems there is a formal request from NHS England to the Department of Health and Social Care to blacklist homeopathy and make sure that it's never going to be available on the NHS. I mean, 
it's pretty good. However, my doubt is uh, based on the fact that we have seen quite a few good steps towards getting rid of NHS funding for homeopathy in the UK. But apparently, and uh, not too long ago, an article was published uh, on The Telegraph by Laura Donnelly that uh, got into the details of how it's still prescribed. And last year, 3,300 prescriptions for homeopathic preparations was done, costing the NHS a total of £55,000. I mean, it's still not as much as it used to be when the overall for the whole of the UK was uh, like more than £5 million a year. But it's still more than should be spent on homeopathy, something that doesn't work. So if it gets blacklisted, it's going to be welcome. However, I have to say that uh, there was, last year, there was a legal case when uh, the BHA, the British Homeopathic Association, went to court, to high court, to challenge uh, and overturn an earlier decision that any NHS England no longer would routinely fund homeopathy. But the high court rejected that uh, legal challenge. So uh, it's just the next move. Let's put it on the blacklist. See see how it how it turns out. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, indeed. All right. So we have to finish with uh, with good news, right? The mm-hmm. news. The news. I <laughs> now that I'm mentioning good news, I'm pretty sure that there has to be someone who has been really wrong lately. So let's move on to that. Yes. And for this week, we go to Scotland, where there's a a recent decision in a local council that has highlighted a very undemocratic practice or rule. The decision in question is about whether to close down a local school or not. This is in Kinrosshire in Scotland. The thing is that the local council voted seven to six to let the school remain But then the interesting thing happened that two church officials who sit on the Long Life Learning Committee came in and voted for closing the school, even though the democratically voted council had said it should remain. The issue here is that the church officials are not elected as the rest of the council, but they are appointed by the church. So We have a situation here where the church has the power to vote down decisions by democratically elected councils. Well, at least Mm. when it's a close call as this one is. If it had been 13 to 0, they wouldn't be able to change the the outcome. So that's bad. Uh, We don't want the church to be involved in democratically or what supposedly is democratically held decisions. But the good news is that it has created quite an outrage and the Humanist Society of Scotland has called on the government to intervene in this case. And we'll see how this ends up. But uh, the good news is uh, it has highlighted uh, that there is a problem with the system in Scotland. It's not good if if the church can come in and change a democratically uh, held decision. Yeah, it, it, I agree that there must be a reasoning behind closing down a school and uh, not just uh, unelected 
church officials just coming in and saying that, okay, yeah. we are closing it. Yeah, <laughs> correct. Yeah, I, I fully agree. So for still having the church as an unelected voice when it comes to what should have been democratic councils, the Local Government Act of 1973 in Scotland gets today's prize for being really wrong. <laughs> have, have you ever given out a prize for really wrong for an actual law or or? Well, no, I don't think so. Actually, maybe it's a first. Okay, <laughs> breaking new ground. Yeah, all right. Hmm? Nice. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. Okay, the show is coming to an end. I think because we mentioned HPV earlier in the show, and I promised a couple of weeks ago that we would keep sharing uh, Laura Brennan's uh, message. I think uh, it's only fair that we run her message again. My name is Laura. I was diagnosed with cervical cancer stage 2B in December 2016. And unfortunately, it's no longer curable. If I had had the vaccine, I wouldn't be in the position I am in today because the vaccine protects against HPV 16 and HPV 16 caused by cancer. When I got my diagnosis, I decided that I would do anything to stop this from happening to anyone else. Sometimes when you hear about cervical cancer, you don't actually think that could be my daughter, that could be my friend. I am just your average 25-year-old girl and it did happen to me. As long as I'm lucky to be here, I will continue to share the message to anyone that will listen. The HPV vaccine is safe and effective and it is the best tool we have to prevent this cancer from happening. We are concluding the show, but to do that, we have to hear a good quote uh, presented by Yelena. Uh, I've got a good quote for you today. It's from Charles Darwin. He said, To kill an error is as good a service as, and sometimes even better than, the establishing of a new truth or fact. Also, I want to just add for myself, also, it's not just as good a service, but also it's a very, very hard service. Sometimes even harder than finding it's the It's very fact. hard. It is very hard. <laughs> But it's, it echoes Karl Popper, doesn't it? You know, you have to f be able to falsify your findings to be able to move on. Yeah. And, of course, this is how science works. So, like, you make small errors. There are uncertainties. There are unknown factors. And you have to get rid of those. So you have to figure it out. You have to find the right answer. Getting back to the original thing that we started out with, that black hole thing. Hmm? They were holding their breath. They already had certain theories as to what it would be like. And then came the actual picture. And had the picture been absolutely different from what they expected it to be, it would have been a huge thing. I mean, that would have questioned a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, but, but the about good the theories. Yeah, but the good thing with science is it would have been just as fantastic. Because exactly. then we would know more. So either yeah. we confirm what we already know, or we confirm that it wasn't the case, and then that's it. In some cases, it's even more exciting, because then you say, yeah. ooh, there's something we didn't know here. Yeah. yeah. 
I was wrong. And and in in science and in papers, this is this is why they quote each other and stuff. And and there are citations that oh yeah 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 oh um sorry I think that part of your paper was wrong. Mm. And the correct reply to that is oh thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Now I and know now that, better. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh Charles Darwin. Yeah. Thank you very much, Yelena, for that. Chuck, oh, good old yeah. Chuck. Yeah. Ready. Good old Chuck. Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Darwin. Okay. So, and indeed, thanks to both of you, Yelena and Pontus, for Thank joining you. me today. Thanks, guys. Thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Paka-paka. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rob, and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Who is rearranging the furniture me, at me, your me, place? Me, 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 Yeah, yeah. Please stop it. It's me, really me, annoying. Me, my cat. I, I blame my cat. Yeah, yeah, of course you do. It's this yeah. fucker. It's a very big cat. <laughs> Say it again. The cat was running through without the furniture. Without the cat. Oh, okay. Yeah, say it again yes. without the again. cat. You see, I told you it's a cat. And sometimes even better than... Sorry, that was... Fucking cat! Fuck that cat! Just I'll kick the fucking cat. cat out of the room! Shoot the cat. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> it's a Brad-sized cat, I think. Paka, paka. <laughs> it's amazing this is two guys and a drummer that's what recording (laughs) and this wasn't the cat don't don't blame the cat for this one